the roar at the end makes it very intense, all right? Not that it... Not that seeing a lion on the screen doesn't do that, but the roar, I think, really brings it together. If you can't tell, we're kicking off a brand new series this morning at HSM. We, the past few weeks, we were in our Go series talking about what it looks like to love, lead, and listen to our communities, and now we get to build upon that. That's the really exciting thing is that's not an idea that we just approach once a year, man, but now we get to really Build on that idea as we move into this next series. And I do think it's fitting that we're beginning a series called Hostile. And today, man, it's Super Bowl Sunday. And so, therefore, everybody is dressed in their Sunday best. All right. I was very pleased to see some of your jerseys, all my Falcons jerseys in the room. Thank you. Okay. Look. I caught a lot of flack for this this morning, and I don't appreciate it, all right? There's a couple rules that we abide by in HSM. One of them is you support the Falcons at all costs, okay? The second rule is if you have on another jersey of a different team, I'm going to make fun of you, all right? So that's just, that's the rule. But you got to think that these guys who actually wear these jerseys, man, they go into hostile environments all the time. Like, they will go on the road, and there will be 70,000 people screaming at them, booing them. And if you've never been in an environment like that, I'm just going to tell you, it is one of the strangest things that you've ever experienced to see grown people yelling at what really is a child, all right? So I had, a, I had an instance, and it's on a much smaller scale, but when I was in high school, we went uh, we were in the playoffs for baseball, and we went down to this tiny town in kind of southeast Georgia called Thompson High School, okay? And this place was crazy about baseball. I had never seen anything like it. Typically, baseball games, there's about 12 people there, all right? But we showed up, and they had come in. We were playing on a Wednesday, and starting on Sunday night, they had gotten their lawn chairs and chained them to the fence, all the way around the field so that they would have a seat. And so you pull up on Wednesday, and we're hours before the game, and there's people just sitting there waiting, all right? And not just students, like grown people that are supposed to be at work, sitting there waiting on this high school baseball game. And then as the game gets going, there was this open, open area in left field, and all these trucks start pulling in. And they just yell at you the entire time. And I came in to pitch. Uh, it did not go well. And I got in and just, I was off. Like, I just did not have a, a good game. But really, I didn't have very many good games. But I was really bad on this particular day. And they were very mean to me. Uh, they found out what my name was. And they kept yelling at me. And they yelled very mean things. And so the game ends. And, you know, we got beat pretty bad. And so I'm walking, I walk out of our dugout, and I'm walking to the bathroom, and I have an old man who has got to be, he's in his 50s or 60s, he is still on me, like he's going, hey, Casey, seven, seven, you're terrible, you're awful, and he's just following me to the bathroom, I'm like, please leave me alone, okay, this is the worst day of my life, and he stands there the entire time and just yells at me. Hostile environments are one of the most uncomfortable places that we can be. It really is this idea where it feels like the world is against you. And in this series, we're going to be taking a look at the life of Daniel, all right? If you don't know much about Daniel, that really 
brings together, it really summarizes his life pretty well. He was up against it day after day. A lot of times we think if we know anything of Daniel, we think of Daniel in the lion's den, right? We've maybe heard this story growing up. But there's so many other things that take place through his life where he's in this hostile environment where he's got to hold on to what he believes. And the reason that we're talking about it is if you're walking with Christ, if you claim to be, man, a believer in Jesus and who he is, you're in a hostile environment. Because the world that we live in does not think that way. The world that you guys go to school in does not operate that way. And so you're going into a place where what you believe and what you think and what you say is countercultural to what everybody else is doing. So, yes, Daniel lived thousands of years ago, but I think you guys throughout this series are going to find a lot of similarities through what you go through and through what he walked through. So we're going to be picking up Daniel 1, and we're going to start in verse 8. If you got your Bible for me, let me see it in the air. Great job. Great work. I love it. I love it. We're going to be Daniel 1, verse 8. Let me give you a little background before we get into it, all right? So Daniel, starting in verse 1, he's part of this royal family in Israel, in Judah, and he and his three friends are taken captive by Babylon, okay? Babylon is the big, bad nation at the time. You did not mess with them. You did not go after them. They ruled the land. And so they come into Israel, and they take over, and they begin to take slaves back to Babylon, and Daniel is one of those slaves. He's one of the ones that they begin to take back. Babylon's not a place you're looking to just go hang out, okay? Babylon is not just a place that... Uh, you go, man, that must have been bad. No, it couldn't have been worse. Daniel could not have been taken to literally a worse place on earth to be held captive. It was the personification of evil in the Bible. That's what Babylon was. You could flip to Revelation and they reference at the end of times how evil and how wicked and how awful Babylon was. And you've taken these Jewish teenagers out of their homeland, away from their families, and they've been taken captive to work for the king of Babylon. So Daniel and his friends that you're going to meet throughout the rest of the series, they're not much older than you guys in this room. Scholars believe that they were anywhere between 15 and 17 years old when all of this is taking place. So a pivotal time of life And their lives are on the line. But I want you to remember this quote uh, from a pastor out in California before we begin, because I really think it's going to shape the course of our series. It's this, the darker it gets, the more our tiny light begins to shine. The darker it gets, the more our tiny light begins to shine. And that's exactly what Daniel is going to do. So let's dive into it. Daniel 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So he's been brought in to this foreign land, and they want to make him 
a part of Babylon. Therefore, he has to ditch his customs. He has to ditch his traditions and his Jewish lifestyle. And they want him to eat and drink the way that the king eats. Now, if you know anything about being Jewish, they are very particular about what they can and can't eat. And so a lot of that doesn't fall in line with what they're wanting him to um, begin to put into his body in Babylon. So it says, therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, this is important, and we're going to go back to this highlight. I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? You, so that you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are his friends, if you're wondering. He didn't make them up. Those are his friends. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. Let's recap that real quick. Daniel says, look, we don't want to defile ourselves. We don't want to go up against what we believe. So therefore, we want you to give us vegetables to eat for the next 10 days. And if we walk away healthier, man, we're going to be allowed to keep eating that. If we don't do with us what you want, which is they're going to die. Like they're going to be killed. There's plenty of other people that the king can be using. There's plenty of other people that the king can take. They're going to die if this doesn't work. I don't know how much you know about just science and the body. Meat is protein. Right? We know this. So chicken, pork, steak, protein. Okay? Protein, it's going to have some more fat in it. Protein is ideal for putting on or keeping weight. Right? That's what you want. Vegetables, no protein. All right? No protein. You can tell. Yes, I went to college and I took one science class. Okay? Vegetables, no protein. There's really no fats in it. Typically, when people go to a vegan or vegetarian diet or lifestyle, they lose weight. That's what begins to happen. It's a natural thing. So Daniel's essentially going against science right here. It doesn't make a ton of sense, but I want you to check out where this goes in verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away the food and the wine that they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables. As for the four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. Let's pray real quick, guys. God, I just pray this morning that um, that passage would begin to soak into our hearts. 
God, because we do live in a difficult world. We do live in a dark place, and we live in a place that doesn't always align with what we believe and the things that we think. And so, God, I just pray over these students uh, for the next few moments that we have together that they would get an idea of what it looks like to live a faithful life. God, a life that doesn't fluctuate based off people's opinions, a life that doesn't fluctuate based off society. But God, it's one that is faithful to you and to your word. Because when we live like that, God, we live differently. We live with our eyes set on something bigger and something greater. And so for the next few moments as we get to talk about that, Lord, we just want to give that time to you and pray that we walk out of here with a better idea of what it looks like to be faithful. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. I already prayed for the Falcons being in the Super Bowl this time next year earlier, all right? So didn't have to do it there. So guys, here's the question that we're really trying to answer. Here's what we're wanting to understand from this passage. How do we remain faithful when we're opposed by pressure? How do we remain faithful when we're opposed by pressure? Because I think faithfulness is really easy when life is going well, is it not? Taking steps of obedience when things are going your way is not hard to do. Just about everybody on the planet can do that. People begin to struggle, though, when they're met by opposition, when they're met by pressure, when they're met by circumstance that they didn't see coming. That's exactly what Daniel's dealing with. Daniel's just a teenager living his life in his royal family until his homeland's taken over and he's taken out of everything that he knows. He's taken out of everything that's comfortable. He's stripped of it and he's taken to this evil, horrible place. A place that doesn't believe in God. A place that mocks God. This is not the environment for him. He is opposed by pressure from the get-go. His life is on the line from the moment he's dragged into Babylon. And yet, through the course of Daniel's journey, he remains faithful to the Lord. I don't know if there's any other characteristic that could be better to describe us than faithful. Like at the end of my days, when my time's over on this earth, I just pray that people will gather together and just say that he was faithful to the Lord. And because he was faithful to the Lord, he was faithful to friends, he was faithful to family, he was faithful to all of these things. Like that's one of the greatest qualities and one of the greatest ways that you can be described. But it is so hard to hold on to when we're dealing with pressure. So let's check this out. How do we remain faithful when we're opposed by pressure? The first idea is that we believe God is bigger than what you face. Simple, right? This, we feel that this is, okay, that is baby steps of Christianity. Yes, I've got to believe that God is bigger than what I face. And yet, how often do we not do this? How often do we allow our circumstances to be greater than God? Maybe it's something you're struggling with at school. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a family situation. And we know what the right answer is, right? Like, in our minds, we believe, yes, I know that God is bigger than this. I know that God is greater than this. And yet we can't trust him with it. 
and our faithfulness begins to slow down because now pressure's standing in front of us. I think the really cool thing about Daniel, and I think the cool thing about what we see is that Daniel just kind of shows up with this attitude. He shows up with this idea that God's bigger and God's here right now. He didn't really show up with a lot of question marks. You don't see him questioning his faith during the course of this journey. He just kind of shows up and goes, look, God's going to do what God's going to do. I believe that. I, I trust that wholeheartedly, and he's going to see me through. Like, that's his mentality. That's his attitude about life. God's bigger, and God's here right now. We see that because he says this in Daniel 1.12. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Daniel's not testing God right there. So when he says test your servants for 10 days, Daniel's not testing God. He's trusting what God can do. That's how deep his faith runs at this point. Yeah, give us vegetables for 10 days. Vegetables to eat, waters to drink. God's in this. Let's see what's going to happen. I think for us to remember that God is greater than what we face, we have to live with two words, peace and confidence. Peace and confidence. Because if you have no peace, God's going to feel like he's a million miles away and you can never get in touch with him. And if you live with no confidence, you live with a defeated mindset. You live with the, if you're in Daniel's situation, well, God must not be in this because if God was with me, why would he allow me to go to Babylon? Like, why would God allow me when I'm 16, 17 years old to be taken to this forsaken place? But Daniel lived with peace and confidence that God was in control at all times. And it wasn't confidence in himself Daniel's not saying, yeah, test me. I know that I can defeat science. Daniel's confident in what God can do because God's done it time and time and time again in his life. Guys, God will do it time and time and time again in your own life, and yet we have no confidence that he will. We always feel like the next obstacle the next adversity, the next storm is going to be the one that's too big for him to bear. The one that's too big, it doesn't make any sense. It, it ruins us. God, God's out. God doesn't see me. God doesn't want to be with me. God doesn't understand me. We have no confidence in what the God of the universe can actually do in our lives. Is there stuff that happens that we just don't understand? Yeah. Does that mean that God's not in control? Absolutely not. So for us to believe that God is bigger than what we face, you've got to have peace and peace that you're not in control. Let's go ahead and let's have a moment for us all to realize we're not in control of what's happening in this world. Like we're just not. 
Things are going to happen, and then you can hold on as tight as you want to, and they're still going to happen. So we've got to have peace that God's in control, and we've got to be confident that God's going to come through. Here's the really interesting thing. Let's say that they had gotten to the end of the 10 days and Daniel had lost weight. He didn't look like the rest of the youth and he's getting ready to die. I don't think Daniel's attitude changes because he realized God's in it and therefore my reward will be greater than any punishment I may face here. Like Daniel was so at peace with what was happening in his life because he trusted and believed in God that much. So if you're wondering how do you acquire peace and confidence, it requires an active faith. If you don't have an active faith, you'll never be at peace with your life and you will never be confident in what God can do. There's got to be that continual growth. There's got to be the work that goes in on our end. That faith can't be stagnant. It can't be non-existent. Because if it is, peace and confidence are going to feel impossible to attain. Daniel didn't just show up in Babylon and figure all this out. This was the culmination of his entire life and his walk with the Lord that was now being tested and he was ready to go. So active faith is so important, guys. It's crucial. Here's the second thing or the second way that we can remain faithful when we're opposed by pressure. You don't trade your beliefs for opinions. Don't trade your beliefs for opinions. I want you to check out this conversation that happens in the 13th verse of what we just read. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, so this is one of the people that's working for Nebuchadnezzar that says this, I fear my Lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths of your own age, so that you would endanger my head with the king? So you've got... Daniel, who's calm, cool, pretty collected through this whole thing. And then we've got this cat that's working for Nebuchadnezzar. And he's like, look, you're going to get me in trouble. I am terrified of the king. I'm terrified of what the king's going to do. Because if you don't do this and it doesn't work, you're not going to be the only ones that die. I'm going to lose my life over this too. And right there... In this one conversation, in this one verse, we see this age-old battle taking place. You've got faith on one end, and you've got fear on the other. Daniel's living from a place of faith, and this eunuch is living from a place of fear. He's terrified of what the outcomes could be, and Daniel's at peace with whatever's going to happen. Now, here's what we know, just from history... Faith will always outweigh fear at the end of the day. People that try to operate solely off fear, they get left behind because they don't know what they actually believe because their fears are all over the board, right? They don't have a consistent base that they go home to. Where Daniel... Man, his faith is rooted in one firm foundation, one place. The eunuch's just living to save his own skin. 
Daniel's living for something that's so much greater than himself. And we read this story and what we read in 8 through 20 and go, yeah, man, Daniel's got it rough. But in the opening section, in the first seven verses, it lays out how we get here. So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, those are their given names. And yet, when they get to Babylon, they go, you know what? That's not your name anymore. Daniel became Belteshazzar, and then you had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were given their non-God names. So, a.k.a., they're stripped of their identity. They're stripped of their worldly identity. You think about how important your name is to you. That's what people know you by. That's what your parents gave to you. And imagine being 16, 17 years old, and you get to a place and go, that's no longer your name. But Daniel's faith wasn't rooted in himself. It wasn't, his identity wasn't just found in being Daniel from the royal family. His identity was found in being Daniel, the son of a living and breathing God. He was ready. And he was not about to trade what he firmly believed for the opinions of some guy. Here's why we don't trade beliefs for opinions. Because opinions change. Opinions change. There might be some of you that started out in ninth grade and gone, you know what, I really like Casey. He seems nice and cool. And then you get to 11th grade and gone, yeah, I don't think I like Casey anymore, right? Like our opinions change constantly. That's just what happens. That's what we do as human beings. The things that we like, the things that we're scared of, our interest, whatever, those are subject to change because they're opinions. Faith doesn't move. Faith is bolted in there. We abandon opinions quick because we realize that they truly don't have a deep definition. Like we don't, we don't hold on to the same opinions forever. Your opinions about a TV show that you watched when you were six is definitely different than you do when you watch when you're 16. Like those things are subject to change over time. That's why you don't find yourself in them. And that's sure as heck why you don't trade what you believe and what you know to be true for what somebody else thinks. Daniel's faced with that with his life on the line and he's sticking true to what he knows. I want you guys to write down this question. I think it's something good for each one of us to ponder. How different is my life if I just believed that God was worth it? How different is my life if I just believed that God was worth it? I thought about that question a whole lot this week. I think about decisions I would have made different. I think about conversations that I 
would have had that would have ended up differently. I think about places I would have gone that I wouldn't have. A lot of times when we're acting from fear, we're acting in a way because we don't believe God's worth it. Here's our last point. We've got to begin to see the obstacles that face us as opportunity. So we've got to see obstacles as opportunity. It says this in Daniel 1:15. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So this test ends and Daniel's better because of it. And we've talked that he wasn't testing God. He was trusting in what God could do. But here's another defining quality of Daniel. He didn't just see obstacles. He saw opportunity for God's name to be glorified. So often when we live life, we're living obstacle to obstacle, which means I focus negative to negative. Like I'm only focusing on the bad things that face me. I want you to think about maybe a day at school where you show up and you know you've got two or three exams that day. That is one of the worst days to ever be comprised on earth. Like I hated those days when I was in school where you would show up and you knew you had a test in first block and you had one in second and you had one in fourth. It drains you. Tests drain us. They mentally wear us down. They physically wear us down because there's so much that goes into it. If Daniel had just lived test to test, he would have been done. Like he couldn't have done it. But Daniel lived opportunity to opportunity. He didn't just focus on the negative things that were happening. He decided to go, you know what? Yes, this is in front of me, but how's God going to get the glory from this? Like, how am I going to make his name known because of what I'm dealing with right now? Guys, if we began to live life like that, your outlook would completely change and your faithfulness would remain true no matter the circumstance. But so many of us struggle because we only see the negative of life. We don't see the opportunity. We are only focused on the obstacle. There's a passage that comes to mind, and you don't have to flip there, but it's James 1. And James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And often we read that and go, how do I consider it joy to face obstacles? Like that doesn't sound fun. The obstacle's not meant to be the end goal. The opportunity and what God can do through that is the goal. Because Daniel saw this one moment as an opportunity, he has no idea what the outcome is going to end up being. But Daniel's about to reshape a nation. He's about to change their hearts. He's about to change their minds. And he's about to become one of the most influential men in all of Babylon from nowhere. He comes out of the blue. And it's because his faithfulness persevered even against the strongest and biggest and toughest trials that he could face. Guys, some of us, let's just be real. 
Some of us just got to change how we think. Some of us, you've just got to quit thinking that the world's out to get you. You don't like what's happening? Go be the change yourself. Like you go do it. Stop waiting on somebody else to take the reins of your life. Trust in what God can do. Believe that he's going to come through and be faithful. There's some of us, though, that just don't, that we don't have an act of faith. And all of this seems like the most foreign, far off, hard to grasp concept. And it's because there is no active faith in our lives. We don't have a relationship with the Lord. We don't believe that he can see us through. We don't understand peace and confidence. Trials are only trials because you have no opportunity that you're looking for. It requires an act of faith. And it also requires a mindset change. But you do that, it doesn't matter what stands against you. God's gonna see you through and your faithfulness will persevere. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I just pray that faithfulness would mark this ministry. Lord, that faithfulness would be what we're known for. God, that it wouldn't be this far off idea. It wouldn't be something that we can't grasp, something that doesn't make any sense. God, I want us to be faithful to you and to your word. Who cares what the world has to say? Who cares what the world has to think? Who cares where they're trying to pull us and what they want us to exchange? God, we have the greatest thing that we could possibly have, which is a relationship with you. Why would we trade that for something here on earth that's gonna come and go and be out of style and be an old model in just a few months? God, give us courage to persevere. Give us peace in your plan and give us confidence that you're still the God who's in control. You never leave us. You never forsake us. That's been true for thousands of years. And you're not going to start in 2020 and you're not going to start in HSM and you're not going to start in these students' lives. May we be marked by our faithfulness to you and to your word. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.